0: Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College.
1: All right, let's pray. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Amen. Amen. I mentioned that's a prayer my father used to pray every now and then, he would check things up from come Lord Jesus. That's why I do the King James Version, guys have all waited wait upon thee, oh Lord, just because that's how dad did it. Dad, dad had mm-hmm. these and thou's were the language of his heart. He spoke in that formal way, just in his personal personal prayers and stuff, thee and thou. So Anyway, so John, tell our, tell our listeners what happened. <laughs>
0: So we are recording episode uh, episode two with our with our guests for today. So this is episode two for today. Uh, we had a little glitch in the previous episode. We'll see. Maybe we have to re-record part of the conversation. Not exactly sure what happened, but we've got uh, we've got Keenan here to formally introduce him uh, for the first time. <laughs> uh, if there are any, uh, we we may be referring to the previous episode. We're not sure what part of that conversation is still intact or what part we'll need to re-record. So there may be a thing or two where as we're referring to something it doesn't make sense. That would be why because we would have to go back and re-record, but we still have to sort that out. But while we're here, we're we're still going to take advantage of the opportunity to to do this second this second episode. And so I'm very I'm very eager for it.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited
0: to To hear more about Kenan officially, now that we will officially meet him for the
1: first time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, Abby went off to Mankato. And so I feel like that was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had in my life. And so we're all kind of heartbroken. We might have lost 40 minutes, 30, 40 40 minutes. I mean, it really was so fun. Now we're going to go back over it. It's going to be boring. It's going to be, because you can never go back, right? We're going to try to recreate, but you can't. But we'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. So yeah. listeners have already heard that episode by now at that at this point, right? John? Yeah. So, okay. Yes, they will Okay, have so, heard that episode before. So uh, I think I do have a devotional thought, but let's go ahead and get Keenan in just briefly, and we'll come back to him. Keenan will be the star of the episode. We're going to pick your brain about stuff. But first, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I'm a therapist. Uh, I work in the cities, and I uh, I I'm fortunate enough to get to mostly work with college students. Um, not not just the U of M, but but kind of the whole area. And then I I've uh, been edited enough that that's that's kind of graduated into uh, young adults. Um, so I, yeah, I think that's 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 the most succinct, clean, podcasty way to put it.
1: Okay, and part of my curiosity is, is, oh I mean I pick this man' brain this man's brain all the time, but the integration of Christian faith with your practice, I remember you saying one time about what do you do on the way home from work with all the things you're carrying for people with people is that you would pray for them on the way home and commend them into God's hands and so on so that's part of what I'm sure we'll get into is just your your therapy practice as an act of Christian service and as a profound Communication event too. Um, more to say right now, or more to, as we exchange the microphone? No. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Always more. <laughs>
2: <laughs> always more to say. I. I, uh, I. Again, this is. This is. I. I don't know how much um, was retained from our previous recording, but I. I. Even I'm still reeling from um, you talking about that. That notion that the things were called to destroy us and. I, I think that's that's a big component of it and and just what is it like to be sort of drawn in and, and gravitate towards uh, a, a work that is so uh, painful and heavy and it's like why why is there some huge itch in me to be here um when when I feel you know so so deeply overwhelmed by it and um you know I, th- I think I think that's where a lot of that that sort of um what we've talked about before of of you know kind of surrendering to God and re- releasing it from my own hands who, who who me who can't carry it by myself um
1: comes into play yeah and what we <clears throat> what we talked about too that makes me think of is just what a discouragement a discouragement it would be admitting how heavy the work can be to think of it as on the outside of christian living as if it's sort of sort of irrelevant to your service to God because it's not in church, you know? And so, yeah, we'll get into all those things, and I, I'm looking forward to that. So, a bit of a devotional thought. I'm going to read from Zechariah chapter 14. It might sound kind of random when you first hear this, but it, it strikes me as terrifically important. So, on that day, this is Zechariah 14, on that day referring to our day, uh, the day of Christ and the church, the day of the church, on that day, holy to the Lord will be inscribed on the bells of the horses and the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls. We're sorry. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar. Every pot, every pot in Jerusalem, and Judah, will be holy to the Lord Almighty. And all who come to sacrifice will take some of the pots and cook in them. And on that day, there will be no hunger and so on, in the house of the Lord Almighty. And so what's striking about that is, you think about, a, oh, let's say, a compartmentalization of life. So you compartmentalize into life. Here's the church part of my life, it's Sunday morning, and here's the rest of my life. And those two are walled off from each other, and one doesn't mean much to the other. But uh, to say the very cooking pots are holy to the Lord, and the bells on the horses are holy, this is saying that, that line is, is erased through Christ. And, and all of life can be now charged with the holy, with holiness for Jesus' sake. And that's just a a revolutionary idea. And it's not, to again, to take away from public ministry and the special thing it is, but this is maybe, again, the kind of un, untold story that uh, all of life can be offered to God as a holy thing. And there's no degrees of holiness. There's no, this is more holy than that as far as callings. There's being holy in Jesus and, and not. And so... I. Uh, just for my essay, so again, it's called Unleashing Our Calling. It was a symposium essay at a seminary a few years back. I was quoting from a book by Studs Turkle. This is from the 70s. And so it's a, it's a compilation of oral histories. He just goes and interviews people about their working life. And it's really kind of a sad book when you think about it. Let me just quote a little bit. Turkle writes, This book, being about work, is by its very nature about violence. To the spirit as well as to the body, it's about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting mat- matches as well as fist fights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It is above all about daily humiliations. To survive the day is triumph enough for the walking wounded, among the great many of us. And so, speaking about people who, who, uh, what shall we say? Their whole working life is just this thing they do to get to the weekend, and it's this is thing they endure. Or he thinks, just way too many people. Uh, here's, a, here's an example. The repetition, he's talking about working at a car, uh, you're building cars at a factory. The repetition of identical gesture, the work that's never finished, is to a spot welder a war of attrition, a kind of death. If one car is done, the next one isn't, and it's already there, unsoldered, at the precise spot that's just been done. Rough at the precise spot that's just been polished. And then he writes a little later, most of us have jobs that are too small for our spirit. Jobs not big enough for people. And so that's kind of part of the burden of the essay and of, of um, wanting to unleash Christian lay people to their callings and help them find joy in it is just to erase that line. And this part of my life is mine and secular. That part of my life is holy and belongs to God and to Jesus. Um, I remember meeting a dentist once and he said, if I could get my hands on that 19-year-old, I would strangle him. <laughs> he was talking about himself at 19, that he had kind of locked himself into a calling that then, later in life, he didn't find meaningful. And, of course, he's the person I'm thinking of that needs to, to hear this, all these episodes, and hear this speech about, no, 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 no. It's God has you where he wants you. There's no mistakes. And all of, all of this is not secondary <clears throat> and outside of your true uh, Christian living, you know. And so, yeah, small devotional thought based on that prophecy that says, no, 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 no more compartmentalization, no more, no more dividing life into two parts. And so, anyway, react to that if you like either of you.
0: Yeah, I think the the part that I like the most, and this is also from your essay, is the the sense of, you know, the church gathering and scattering and gathering again as a continuous cycle, and the the necessity of that, and how important it is to to not compartmentalize. And there's um, that, that I struck, struck me as, um, I'd, I'd never thought about it that way of like being the church being scattered, uh, and then brought back together. And then what is allowed to happen now because of that and what's necessary to happen because of that.
2: And it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of, we're, we're talking about kind of an interesting dichotomy where you're sort of simultaneously saying, how, how do you kind of honor, like that that this is the whole of you, and and the the you know kind of your your work is just you know just as much a part of that Christian living. Uh, at and at the same time, we were just a second ago talking about how how do you create separation there? How do you how do you possibly kind of hold hold these and then live your life at the same time? I, yeah, it's very, very it's it's a difficult one.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think people need to wrestle with it seriously, and by first it starts by opening up the doctrine to them. So that every square inch of my life is redeemed by Christ, and every second of my life is, is His. And so, <clears throat> another way to say this is to no longer, to no longer say about some part of my life mine, and say about another part of my life, like Sunday morning, His. And if we can just, uh, that's a starting point maybe to, to, begin to integrate better. So you've already heard from Keenan. Let's let um, me introduce you more formally. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess if, we're gonna keep forgetting what we recorded, what we lost in the last episode, but <laughs> we'll keep trying. <clears throat> so, uh, both uh, your mom and I have these stories about you—that little micro microcosms of Kenan. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> one is that Connie was talking about something that was distressing to her, and he, you don't even remember this properly, but you were sitting on the couch, and you just said, "Yeah, that's hard." And so it was just a it was a reflection of feeling, and she talks about that to this day. And to you, that's just your bread and butter as a therapist is those those communication skills. But for me, it's one time we're mentioning to you a nightmare I'd had more than once, and I just saw something come over you, Keenan. That all of a sudden you're therapying me just because like, <laughs> you just go into this, and I love it. I mean, it's done it's done so sincerely, but. uh I, I think your calling is just so part of who you are and and um, it is without any question, a service to God that you are offering. And so um, what's the question we have for Keenan to get going here, John?
0: Well, you started talking about dreams and now I'm curious, <laughs> but okay. uh, yeah, maybe, maybe start there. Like, wh- is there something about that that is central to your practice or like, is it a theme that comes up or what what is it about dreams that that piqued your interest in that moment?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I you know well I I could probably just like spur on about dreams for forever because I think they're fascinating in their own right. But I I think in that mm-hmm. moment um, it it was well it's it, maybe it's it's kind of something we're exploring here as well. It's it's almost a chicken and the egg kind of thing with a calling because I, I, I I'm not sure I would have done that you know like six years ago mm. like I. I, I it's it's an interesting thing where I you know have not only kind of felt felt called to therapy, but then also it's really you know dr- drastically changed how I show up with people, um, and and so I, again I, I I I I well I remember the nightmare I can I, I can I can viscerally feel it in itself and so I, I, I think there would have been uh maybe maybe a little more sort of panic or unease or 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 what have you then so I. I uh, that that's I guess my best answer to it is is less less an interest in dreams and more more kind of that genuine worry and feeling more able to kind of show up there because um, I felt your worry.
0: I see. So it's so it's more about the context of you know who you're talking with, who's sharing the dream in that case, than than the fact that the, that a dream had because that's kind of an ubiquitous you know going on for most people. Most people have a dream. Most people have nightmares, but when that person's right in front of you and talking, now it takes on a whole different layer of what to unpack.
1: Mm. Yeah, so I pick this man's brain all the time, as I maybe have said. <clears throat> and one issue will be no surprise to Keenan, but I'd like to get him talking about this on air in our podcast. So um, I took a course at Mankato State, where you also went, John, and it was called Interpersonal Helping Skills. It was an elective outside my program, but it was really about the skills of the listening skills applied to a, th- a therapy kind of setting. And I got a strong sense from the instructor that the therapist or counselor is like a blank wall. And we're just not supposed to react to things. We're just supposed to, you know, just be the blank wall and people can project on you all they want. But, And so that's kind of what was in my head for a while. And then, you know, I met Keenan and got very interested in therapy and uh read a person, Irvin Yalom is a classic group, group counselor kind of guy, kind of the guru of that. And I got a whole different sense from him that you are, this is a real relationship. And this is, you are, the relationship is part of the healing that happens. And it's not a blank wall. You bring your whole self to this thing. And, and that just, that fascinated me. That was just two ends of a spectrum. And um, so go ahead and talk about where you are with that. Because I kind of know, because we've talked about this, but
0: yeah, I'm curious because this is all brand new for me. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a good question. I, I totally I, I i can't tell you enough. It's it's one of the things that's actually made it feel a lot more appropriate or 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 not appro- appropriate, uh, approachable rather. Um, where I, it was, uh, like, like in, you know, I remember sort of quaking in grad school and feeling that, that sort of like, whoa you know, you're they're, they're you're sort of maybe doing a little bit of skills work, but they're also running you through like the DSM and you're, there's, you're, you're just learning about like, you know, bipolar disorder and, and all that, you know, like every, every sort of challenge you might face um, and, and that one of the things that, that's the most grounded and kind of helps you come back to yourself is uh, that they hit over and over again, like the most important thing, uh, you know, in that room is your relationship, you know, like ab- above anything else, it's your relationship. We, and, and beyond that, we have so much research to back this up. Like this, this is the, the biggest predictor of meaningful change. Um, and, and it sounds, it's, it it almost feels kind of counterintuitive, especially when you're in school for it. And you're like, you're like trying to, you know, it feels like you have to know all the theory and get the skills down and be ready for whoever walks in your room. Um, but it's, it's almost, almost kind of a form of radical acceptance where it's like, you, you can't be, um, you can't be truly prepared. this is going to be a totally unique individual person with their own story and heartbreak and challenges for you. Um, And the thing you can do every time is is be a human for them. Um, And I I think that's something that I I like routinely, you you know, like I I put above anything else. Um, Even I, I, I would go beyond that to say, you know, especially being newer in the field. Um, having only worked as a therapist for five years, I, I often still have to find the balance with that too. Cause I, I think I, you know, I'm working with young adults, like we're right. We're talking about just, you know, games and fun things. And like, it's, it's easy to sort of lose yourself and kind of even, even vacate some of the professionalism. But I, I think, you know, that's, that's often one of the most important things is, is fee- like, like, you know, the, w- having a relationship there and then if you if you really dissect it it's it's about um you know gi- giving them a you know having a person who genuinely cares about them you know having having a person who who is there and wants to listen and and is you know like that that's 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 who you open up to you know it's 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 that's that's the setting that actually sort of fosters change and and that the 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 sort of blank blank slate um notion is is you know some people I think absolutely still still do it um, it's it's a little a little more uh, Freudian um but I but I also I I yeah. my, my first boss actually she was like like you know what I I I don't believe in sharing anything like do not do not let them know anything about you I think was her big thing like you can have a relationship but don't really you know let in any self-disclosure of any kind and and she uh she talked about sort of, I, I wore, I wore my ring once and I never saw that client again and, and kind of attributes it to that. So I, I've, I don't know, the, the people stand in different places, but
0: I, I, my initial response to that is be, how could you have a relationship with someone when you close off your walls? So, so tightly. Um, but man, it's been, a, it's been a minute since I've been in uh DSM five. <laughs> I forget, I forget those, but that's, a uh, Tell the layperson what, what Dear Sam is. Oh yeah, it's the
1: uh,
2: the uh, basically I, we always call it the the Bible for therapists. Um, but it's it's basically the the rundown of um, you know kind of the 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 current iteration of our understanding of different you know like psychological disorders and how we categorize them and. Um, could could spend a whole podcast on the politics behind the DSM because yeah. you know it's like what what, yeah. what in human behavior is a disorder um, but uh, yeah it, it kind of help, helps with diagnosis and is about you know insurance billing as well all
1: that stuff yeah because there's something that always bothered me about that blank wall approach and that was um, so what does wholeness look like what does being whole and a well integrated person look like will it means you're capable of having relationship right and that if the counseling relationship is a one-way street then it then it becomes not a real relationship and so it just seemed to me like a built-in limitation how far can I take you if I don't take you to actually having a relationship that's that is more than a one-way street so does that make sense can you respond to that
2: yeah yeah totally I, uh, and, and it, and it is a balancing act too. Cause I, I guess, right. It's like, I, I want to take you there. I want to show up. Um, and, and at the same time, this is a unique relationship. Like I can't go all the way. I, 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 one of, one of the, the scariest, I, I think things I've experienced is having a um, a, a client l- look really deep into my history, like pull up like my wedding website and everything. And I, I was just, you know, it like, Ooh, it gets under your skin. You're like, Oh, I, what does it's, it's sort of a, this violation of privacy. Um, but it's a, again, a kind of a strange, um, I don't know, dichotomy at the same time where you're, you're trying, they're sharing so much with you. Um, so I, it, I, that to say it is, it is complex. Um, and, 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 Something something I really wrestle with, um, to be honest.
0: Yeah, because I can see how it'd be very close. Like very quickly, you can err on the side of sharing too much, and then all of a sudden, now it becomes it blends that line of you know, you know, this is the role that your actual friends in real life are supposed to to take on, and I can't be that the whole
1: time. So, yeah, I can see how it'd be tricky. Yeah, I think Irvin Yalom. Um, he's a secular guy. He's just really interesting. He he, mm-hmm. he writes about being in a relationship Then that when I sense something from you, that I'm going to just trust that instinct and guess that other people in your life may be getting the same thing, whether it's a demandingness or a manipula- manipulation, whatever it might be. And That's just another way to get at that the relationship itself is sort of a tool in its own right. And you're saying there's limitations to how authentic and genuinely two-way it is a unique relationship, but... Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, uh, it's one of the things that, that I, I found really daunting early on, um, but, but now almost look forward to. I, I, I would venture to say so, some therapists would or a lot of therapists would say the same thing, actually, because y- you do use it as a tool. And like I and 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 in in that way, like he like he said, there's you experience the things that come with a relationship, like rupture, like like how, being like, oh, it seems seems like maybe other people are you experiencing you the same way, like um even you know a lot of a lot of in the moment kind of like ooh i just I, I just felt you react to me like you know like like that 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 felt like a flash of anger that felt like a, a like ooh I've, I've, i i you you're closed off all of a sudden like what what just happened there um and the the that actually i think again it used to be, it used to scare the heck out of me like you know, it's, it's, it's like the, the sort of thing that you wouldn't necessarily be naming with your friends in real life. Um, but then that's, that's exactly why it is so kind of, uh, meaningful to do it in session because the, no one does that to you. You know, no one, no one asks you that.
1: Yeah. In my, yeah. Well, so oh, go ahead, John. Oh, you go. Well, in you my, go, in my field, of course, in communication, we call that immediacy, which is, which is, yeah, it's a rare thing because it's so intense and so vulnerable, but here's, here's what's like being in the room with you. They were actually can kind of metacommunicate in that way. Here's what I'm getting from you. Here's what I just felt right now from you. That's that's fascinating because I think that would be a catalyst to, to open some good doors, I would imagine in a person.
0: Is that kind of what your, your practice is like? I'm, I'm, I know nothing about therapy. So I'm very, I'm very curious. um, The, is it almost like, are you mostly having a, a normal conversation and then when you run up against one of those, you know, moments and you say, let's pause and unpack that. Is that kind of the strategy that you usually take or what is your usual approach like?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've, I, I'm laughing cause I, laughing because I had a client uh, I've I've had clients even even kind of say like oh you're sneaky like like you really like you know <laughs> caught me off guard there like like I I that yeah, is yeah. totally my approach I it, everyone absolutely kind of goes at it with their own style and and if I, on on a maybe arbitrary therapy spectrum I I really am bad at the like worksheets and the really hardcore yeah. treatment planning and like, let's get your depression from a 20% to a 30%, you know, like, like that stuff just isn't yeah, yeah. how I operate. Um, and that, that I am much more, uh, what, what, what you call person centered or, um, narrative mm-hmm. of a therapist where I'm like, I want, I want to know the person in you and, and that, <laughs> that it will like, like I it kind, of, kind of talk, talking about flow state earlier, like, like it is about sort of like let's let's get into this place where we're we're just talking and you're just you're just uh, you know really just you know uh, reaching that place where you're talking without thinking um kind of projecting onto me and uh, and and then all of a sudden it's like ooh I, I felt I felt something in that moment and you just kind of weave the conversation towards that emotion. Um, and, and it just kind of opens more and more, um, it's, it's sort of like wading into like a cold lake, um, you know, where it's, you yeah. know, you, you don't just start the session and be like, tell me about your mom and your trauma. Like, you know, it's, it's like, let's, let's, let's kind of see Ease seize in. what you feel able to share in this, in this space here.
0: Yeah. So what would you say is the, and this could, I'm, I'm imagining that there's a multitude of answers here, but what are the things that really make therapy effective? Is it that you're facilitating situations that like when you prod something like a, a wound that reveals itself or you encounter a defense mechanism and then you can explore that in a way that wouldn't be encountered normally? Is it because you're able to demonstrate what a, an actual healthy relationship can look like in some ways, as we've discussed earlier, or what other, what other things – or are those things wrong? Are those things uh, uh, on point or are there other things that make therapy effective for people? like what helps them and what and what is the goal as well to you know, at the end of of sessions or at the end of you know maybe a treatment plan? like what are you aiming towards? Yeah, that's sorry. That was like fifteen uh, questions, so, awesome. so I, no, I, I think no, maybe I, I asked it too many.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's 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 not only hard hard because it is. I mean, it's a it's a multi layered question, but also it's it's hard because it's you know one that I think is it's it's the question that splits people into theories. It's it's a question that. You know, I I ask myself all the time, um, you know, especially in those moments where you're like, man, that wasn't a very good session or like, I just feel like I'm not helping them. Like, you know, it's it's when the doubts kind of creep in. It's it it make it's it's you ask yourself that question of how how does change happen, um, I think, is what's what underlies, like what makes an effective, um, you know, therapy experience or therapy relationship. Um, and, and the, the, again, I, I think part of the hard reality is, is there's not sort of a singular way that happens. And, and that's even part of why we encourage people to like shop around for a therapist early on is because, you know, y- you got to find a person you mesh with kind of, kind of similar to like, what, what is your calling? It's like you've, your, your brain operates in a specific way. You've got gifts in the way you think, and, and you're going to really click with certain people. Um and change change for you is going to happen in a specific way, um, and so that's that's I think uh, in terms of what makes it effective, um, I think I think the big thing or at least maybe I'll I'll answer just from how how I see change happening,
1: mm-hmm, um, but
2: mm-hmm. I I think it is a kind of kind of giving giving people a, a space to kind of have have an emotional honesty with themselves, you know where you you really can, you know, I, like, like creating habits, you know, for forming some really like, you know, meaningful life change, I think is, is, is helpful. It is demonstrable. Like, you know, it, it does make a difference, especially in those really debilitating life places. Um, but if you're talking about the meaningful arcs of change, you know, what, what change you know, our psychology to, you know, alleviate this problem, I, th- I think that is a, a deeper honesty with ourselves about whatever that might be, you know, our, our self-esteem, our past traumas, our fears, our avoidance, or, you know, the uh, list goes on and on. But I th- I, th- I think that that would be my best answer. And and that's part of why talk, talk therapy is so meaningful is because it's, it's, it, it challenges people, you know, I've got people who, who tune out the whole rest of the week, you know, you know, just, just, you know, d- doom scroll and smoke weed and, and just do all kinds of things just, just to turn their brain off as much as they can. And then, and then they challenge themselves so tremendously when they're I- I here for that hour. Um, and, and it's when it can come in and it's painful and it's hor, It feels horrible, especially when you turn it off all the rest of the time. But, it, but that, that's when I see change really happen.
1: So this is great stuff. I, I've seen research into the effectiveness of psychotherapy that I'm not sure if it's controversial or not, but it goes to that no matter what school of thought, no matter what professional skills, people seem to be getting help at roughly the same rate. And, and the research goes like this, like if you ask the, the helper to what you describe the fact that you help them, they will talk about their school of thought and their skills. Talked about the person who received relief from painful thinking or whatever, that they'll just say, someone, listen to me you know and what could be controversial would be in that field of helpers professional helpers to that's what i'm doing i'm just listening to people <laughs> is is that re-? and and i think i even saw one study that said people that have a good have a really healthy support system of their own find a path through their painful symptoms at a similar rate so you're providing just sometimes i've thought about the the healing power of just having in your life one truly wholesome relationship one really healthy, and I would add, if it can be Christ-centered and Christ-obsessed, all the better. But um, can you relate to that research and get a thought about it? Go ahead.
2: Oh, totally, totally. You're 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 dead on. And yeah, talk talk about the the kind of meaningfulness of communication within you know therapy. Like it, it I, I had a uh, he was the I, I think the dean. It was it was one of those people who's like always around in your graduate program, but you're not totally sure who he is um but he uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i think we can all relate a little bit a staple yeah a staple where i'm like i could not name your title but you you are a really lovely guy um and he he would always say um like like all of these theories all of these you know approaches to therapy they're all just the same fish in different wrappings and um and that, that that's that's the case right it's like you know at at the end of the day they all have about the same effectiveness we we have a lot more sort of you know, CBT or like cognitive behavioral therapy is easier to study. And so we have a lot more sort of uh, evidence-based research through things like just behavioral therapies. Um, But, but that being said, like, if you, if you do just kind of tune into people's, you know, uh, reports of effectiveness, it's, it's pretty much the same across the board. And, and that's kind of right. What you, what you come down to is, is that, that relationship, that, that sort of, um yeah yeah like uh this this was meaningful to me. I felt I felt heard. I even had right I had a space I had a meaningful relationship to come back to and um it, that's that's freeing in and it of itself I think.
1: I'm just grabbing the microphone yeah, rem- because I like the rhythm we're in here. We're kind of taking turns asking questions, which is so fun. Yeah. So your turn John. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I was just going to say that all of this kind of reminds me of uh I believe it's Cooley's looking glass self. The idea that The relationships around us help formulate the, you know, the opinions and thoughts that we have about ourselves as well. And so it's not surprising to me that the mere act of listening of which, you know, reflecting, I would also count as like a listening skill to accurately reflect what people have said to you and to to hear them in that way. It's not surprising to me that that would be helpful in maybe dismantling some of the ways that they've picked up how to perceive themselves from other people or from other past relationships, which might have yielded some trauma or things like that. And so to, you know, give a new place, a new mirror to look in or to be seen from, uh, it's not surprising to me that that would be by itself, the most useful thing, especially from the perspective of someone who's coming from a place of trauma. So yeah, that's all I had. Just bringing in the coolies communication.
2: No, totally dead on to And, and, and how it, it can even, it can be, I mean, deep, deeply healing and, and also painful. Like when, when you've got people yeah. who've like, I've I've never had this relationship in my life. I actually feel pretty pretty deeply unsettled with the thought of of me getting this space, me being the one who gets to talk here, um, and uh, that yeah, because they never have. You know, it's it's um, yeah, I, th- I
0: think it's unknown, right. uncharted like territory. Exactly. It's scary. That uh, sort of breaks my heart a
1: little bit <laughs> when you think about. It. So yeah, I love that reference, John, to the Cooley principle that. You look into the social mirror to see who's looking back at me and how are they looking back at me? Do, do I find worth there? Do I find someone of value and importance? And so I I, I think that gets right to the core of what I imagine is healing um, about the therapeutic relationship. So I gave you a book at Christmas by Larry Crabb. I don't remember if I told you the backstory to Larry Crabb. Okay. <clears throat> so not entirely kosher from our, from our Wells uh, Lutheran perspective, but... Author, I used to read everything he wrote, like a book a year, because he was just at least asking the same questions I was asking. So reading an author over the course of a decade, I just saw him being on kind of a trajectory, and that was that he wouldn't have said this early on, but more and more he wants to turn someone away from the professional relationship to the church. And more and more across his books, he was saying, not in any way to dismiss the the helping professions, but to say that the church has within it more resources than we realize to do significant good in the help of other people, and that's kind of built on what you you know allowed on different approaches, different schools of thought, really have a very similar result. And so, but that the that the church that one Christian offering another, not in a professional way, but offering their full attention and I think the same communication skills or skills much like what you use in your practice, that there's more potential there for the ordinary Christian to do something significant for a fellow Christian. So I'd be curious what you think about that and what would you say to the I don't want to say ordinary Christian, we just said there's none there is no ordinary <laughs> Christian. We're all we have these high and holy callings. But what would you say to a Christian, not in your profession? It wants to do more good for people and like, especially the communication side. So answer how you like, wherever there's a lot going on there, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, totally. I, yeah, I already, I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be a little bit of a journey maybe, but mm-hmm. I, uh, cause cause I'm almost tempted to take it back to kind of that, that, that role again of, um, you know, of, of vocation and a, a one of the things I, I've been thinking about the most, I, I mean, hearing the devotion today and, and kind of sitting, uh, you know, present in uh, the last, uh, one, re- the podcast we recorded is, you know, the, the, it's, it's kind of a sacred thing getting to be with people at the beginnings of their life and the beginnings of them thinking about vocation. Um, it's something I've, I've taken really seriously. Um, and, uh, I, and talk about breaking your heart. Like it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, daunting. Like, it's, it's terrifying. You've got, right, like, like the dentist example you mentioned, you've got these 19-year-olds deciding their entire lives. And, um, and, and I, I think maybe more importantly than that, feeling like they have to nail it. Feeling like they really have to get it exactly right in this moment, and they're they're just starting. You know, I mean, if you want to get as technical as their brains aren't developed, or or to the place of like they've barely lived in the world. You know, they've barely gotten a chance to see sort of what what is my calling, what am I drawn to, you know, where where do I belong, and uh, you know that 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 even takes for for some people, you know, their entire lives to figure out. And so I, I think one of the things that um, to to kind of connect back to your question. I I even remember when I was moving towards being a therapist, like if, if I'm being really honest with myself, there was there was a, a sort of level of prestige there, you know, there was a level of like, like, I, you know, I was, I, I don't know if you remember this, I, I was applying to like PhD programs, for for again if i'm being really honest with myself no other reason than a phd felt like i should have it to be appreciated and respected like you know like that that was the thing to do that was the best education you could get so you, i i should i got to do that um, and and now now knowing much more intimately what the difference is between a master's and PhD level therapist I'm very glad I did not go on to get a PhD um, you know I, I had no interest in testing or, or, or uh, you know um, assessment or anything at all but um, I you know I, I I think about the the fear I had and that that pressure to kind of get it right and like you know make a living and like all this stuff and uh, the big piece there was it was, it wasn't including the meaning at all. You know, it, it, it had nothing to do with kind of what is, what is the purpose here? What, what am I actually doing for people? Um, and that's, that's, I guess what I, what I'm seeing in a lot of people as they enter into that stage of life is, is like I, I, and, 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 and feeling so defeated is I, I'm not, I don't have that purpose, you know, whether, whether both, both on the level that is, I, I'm not feeling called to these things um, that I'm feeling pressure to do, or more feeling forced to do, and then same with I, I don't feel that sort of, uh, you know, meaning within God to do this this work. I'm, I, right, kind of like some of the things we've talked about, Um, you know, the idea of being a lay person even has that connotation, you know, it doesn't, uh, you know when the the reality is, it is just as as meaningful and sacred, and you know a part of coming together as, as sort of uh, humans with our gifts to each other. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that's I guess how I would tie it back.
0: Um, told you it was a journey.
1: No, that's excellent. I have, I a, I have a maybe a small I have a, follow I have up a question. Okay, you go first.
0: Yeah, just a quick question. I think I I have a hunch maybe what the answer might be, but. In your experience thus far, would you say that uh, the burdens that people have placed upon them are usually what's heavier, or is it more the burdens that they place on themselves?
2: Mm, that's a great question. I it's a, it's a little bit of both. I I think that's something we're kind of exploring here too, right? Is like you know, cause I talk about the, you know, just the example of me wanting a PhD, like, like you can hear layers of both. Like you hear, there's definitely a, you know, American work culture, you know, no child left behind message in there. Um, and then there's also my own insecurities, you know, not, not really totally knowing what I'm called for yet. And and then just kind of, kind of reaching, you know, I've, I've, uh, a, 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 an unfortunately common message especially I, I work with a lot of grad students is is sort of this this feeling of like you, you really you know start to sit with like what's the th- you know I'm hearing you in a lot of distress what would it be like to leave your program and that's intolerable like it's just un unthinkable um and and that there's such a deep um, feeling of like like this is what I show to people. This is my identity, um, and so the the thought of me not maximizing that feels uh, horrible. And then if you if you dig into it, it feels dangerous. feels feels like I'll I'll lose people in my life. I'll, 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 there's not there's things in me I don't like about myself. So you know if 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 I don't have this thing to point to, then where am I? You know who who will still be around? So. I uh I maybe it's a, a kind of um, tep- tepid answer, but I, I I think I think both really show up in huge ways, and uh, I mean getting being I could could go off about the you know again American work culture and even well yeah. the, the the one detail I would would even throw in that that I think is really relevant here is I th- I think the irony is that it 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 sort of poisons the healthiness of work of hard work too, you know, like, like, you know, it's being sort of exploited by your company being burnt out, being sort of pushed to these huge limits of your, you know, your academic ability for for all these reasons, like, you know, like that, that doesn't connect you with your calling, you know, that doesn't connect you with the love of work. You know, there's a reason people, you know, even after they retire, find all these different kinds of work, like, like work, work is inevitable and, and important mm-hmm. and healthy and great. And, and, you know, it's, it's really easy for that to get crushed in the process.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think we, we alluded to this in the, the previous episode, at least at the beginning. So I believe that part at least is uh, intact. And if it isn't, we'll be finding it and saying it again. But the, the, I think it's one of the quotes at the beginning of the essay where it's like, it all comes back to forgiveness in Christ. It all, it all, the meaningfulness of anything that we do, it all channels
1: through that. And so living through in that way. Right. And the heart is restless till it rests in that, in him. Yeah. 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 I, this is, I'm really appreciating this because I've, I've had a sense Keenan that you found out how challenging your calling is after you got into it to some degree. I mean, you, you went through the ringer early on. Uh, I remember that very well. Um, and the reason I f- have framed vocation as what's the most good I can do as I search for that, it, it's it's not saying what will make me the happiest. It's not saying what is a vocation that won't have a cross in it, that won't have the part that you just would never have chosen for yourself because it's it feels like dying, you know, when you um, surrender your will to those things. So and I like the notion too. Just thinking of how we how we set people free that this isn't about reading God's mind either. And God really leaves our freedom intact. And you get to choose what you will choose to do for me. And um, he doesn't sort of nullify that part of us. And so what it means for me is that there doesn't, like, so I mentioned coming to Martin Luther College. I don't, was that the last episode? I think it was. And that probably didn't get recorded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but going through a time, too, of what have I done to my calling? What have I surrendered? What have I taken up? And is it meaningful? And so on. That I went through that as well. But in the doctrine of vocation, there's something that frees me from wringing my hands over that decision. There's there's a no-looking-back element to this, that no, where I am right now is God's will for me. How do I know? Because it's where I am right now. And he's not made some mistake in my part. And so the, the freedom of that for you too, John, there's no looking back. You you made some really interesting choices in your life and and serving God in, really, in ways few people could when I look at your callings. I want to get you talking about your calling. I don't know what you're talking about most of the time because it's so technical and so deep. And well, that makes two of us. Actually... <laughs> <laughs> but but then no looking back, no wringing your hands over this. You are where you are. That's an element of the doctrine. You are where you are, and this has been no accident. But God is revealing His will to you, moment by moment, second by second. And so I don't know if either of you want to react, react to that or at all. Just again, kind of come back to the doctrine because it's so refreshing. Yeah, that is, it is refreshing
0: because, I mean, thinking about it now, choosing what to be passionate about is identical to choosing what you're willing to suffer for. <laughs> and so knowing that, you know, having that n- no need to look back, like if you're asking that question, you're not, there's not a wrong answer in that moment. Like that, that answer is already there and it's in the, it's in the forgiveness, it's in the cross. And so now it's, it's what go, goes through that, not necessarily about what, what specific choice do I make. But yeah, it is, it is refreshing to, to think about it in those terms because I don't often and uh, maybe I should more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't say that a person is stuck either, that they can't evaluate their life at any time and who needs me and how and, what's, and that the most good I can do can still change. So it just really is a liberating doctrine not to just keep repeating myself on that. But yeah. uh, there was an article before my symposium essay by Ken Cherney in our quarterly, and that this would be searchable for anybody. Um, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary SF, essay file, Ken Cherney, C-H-E-R-N-E-Y. And what he calls, the, the the title somehow has the wording in it, doctor vocation Hidden in Plain Sight. And what it means is, This is core to the Reformation, but just a seriously misunderstood or neglected doctrine. And so that's why I think this is just really a a useful use of our time, Mm -hmm. just these two episodes. So anybody have a... Maybe a... Go ahead.
0: Yeah, I have a... Maybe to take the conversation in a different direction. There are times when, you know, I'm speaking with friends and, you know, they start opening up about, you know, various aspects of their life. They're having... You know, I had a friend recently who was, you know, the negative thoughts were pretty overwhelming. And so it's in those moments where I kind of find myself in a place like, well, I'm not a therapist. Like I, I can't really, like, I'm not trained for this moment. I don't know. I don't exactly have the words to say, but at the same time, I don't think that that it would be like, I don't want to just be like, well, I don't know how to answer this. So I'm going to not have the conversation. Like the, the person's clearly opening up to me. And so it would be like, it's, I mean, it's a, the least I could do is be a good friend in that situation, but maybe I'd be asking for like, what is the, you know, what are, what are some of the things to keep in mind maybe to that are like really helpful? Is it just, is it going back to the listening skills? Is it reflecting? Is it like maybe taking an opportunity to be like a, you know, the voice that sees the, you know, the good and, you know, useful things about people, the helpful things, the, the blessings that they bring to the lives around them that they maybe aren't seeing in that time.
1: That's a great question. I want to, maybe that's the last question. We'll see how long this gets, but I would love to hear sure, you talk yeah. about that. So before I said the same thing was, what does the Christian who's not a professional, what can we say to them about the role of helping people in their lives? Go ahead. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And
2: a, a, uh, a couple of different thoughts come to mind. Um, but one of them being that, you know, it is, it is, I, I think, maybe, maybe kind of comes back to that, that same struggle and and why that idea of the relationship is so important is so grounding. Um, because the same, whether you're in a therapy office together, or you're just with a friend who's hurt or grieving, you know, the, the most important thing is the relationship, you know, it is the human connection. And, and that that's, uh, you know, cu- cu- again, kind of, kind of a really great breath of fresh air is like, there, there is nothing I need to say here. You know, There like, like that, that feeling of, I, I don't, I don't have the words. Like, like that's, I, I, um, I, I remember when mom's uh, dad died or, or I'm sorry, no, it was, it was when her mom died and we were at that funeral and I, I felt that so viscerally where it's just, I, I, I don't know what to say. Like I, you know, I, I didn't get much time with her. I see her in so much, you know, so much pain. Um, And it was just like, Hey, like, like, let's, let's just be here. Let's just, I, I just, you know, hugged her so much and, and, and we were just there together. And, and, and like throughout, throughout the, that that time, you know, just, just let it come up as she wanted it to come up and. I, I, think that's, that's maybe the core of it is uh, like, you know, it, it, take, take the pressure off yourself. Just, just that they, they, them opening up to you. That's, that's, that's the thing. It happened. You're, you're there. Um, you're through the gates and, and they, they'll tell you whatever they need. Um, they'll, they'll communicate it to you and, and any, any amount you can, um, kind of, uh, lean back from that is, is helpful. And, that that was, I guess, the second thought that I was going to add is that I, I I I have to fight that in myself all the time, and I, I've, I I couldn't tell you the exact quote, but um, you know, it's it's something along the lines of you're 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 showing up too much of, uh, with yourself if you're trying to fix the problem, um, and uh, that that's that's something I try to challenge all the time. Is like, you know, obviously we're professionals, we have resources, we want to show up. But, but at the end of the day, one of the, just the, the things that actually matters the most is being a person, like a a human being listening to another human being. And, and that's, that's, that's probably what I, what I'd say to you there is just, just, just listen. You, you don't have to fix it. Um, you can't fix it. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. I think the, oftentimes I, the burden I put on myself is the harder one in those, in those moments, but it's, it is refreshing to hear that, like, being in a position where someone has shared that with you is already more important than, you know, anything you could have said in the first place.
1: Yeah. Brené Brown would say one response she suggests to a person who's suffering is she says, know, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just glad you told me. And, and she says, rarely does a response make, make things better, which you could quibble with that. But, but I know what she's trying to say. She says, what makes things better is connection. Everything you're saying about sitting in that space and, being present is counterintuitive that you really are doing something quite significant just by offering that presence and sitting in the pit with them and so on. So that's great. That's just really good advice. Anybody want to riff on that more?
0: (laughs) No, I, uh, I was just listening and giving you the space to say those words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: this has been, this has been great. Um, So, what we were saying before we recorded, John, was that this having guests is just an eye opening thing to me that I think we can think more seriously about this in the future, especially if we can figure out doing it remotely without glitches and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So, this is, yeah, once fantastic. we get
0: some of those, once we have a, a rhythm to it, it'll be really exciting. We'll see how many more uh, different topics we can bring into the fold. Maybe there's some, you know, I'm sure you have more interesting guests than I do from from my part of the world right now. But, but, uh, well, well, more pertinent to this, um, the topic of our podcast, of course. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been a joy, both of these episodes. I think we'll, we'll sort out the one that you've already listened to. So uh, take that as you will. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, in the so future, I, I'd be excited to have to more of these, especially now that we're we're kind of getting into a bigger, a, a little more of a rhythm with getting these down. I think we've we've been on a, quite a big roll over the last two months.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm on a reprieve as far as the extra things I'm doing during the school year. So summer gets crazy again, but I'm really enjoying having time for this, like every week almost for a while. We've been together, so that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I talked a Garny. lot in the last episode, including the lost stuff, so I didn't have a dessert, um, but I will have a dessert this time, and it'll be one of our, one of my family's classic stories, so I'll get to that when it's time. Anybody want to go first? Dessert? No, no, I,
0: I think you saying that story will give me time to think of okay. a, a unique one. <laughs> so you're gonna just, just going to tune the me out while I'm
1: talking. You're just going to tune me no, out. No, no, okay? no. Got I'm, I'm Got it. I'll, I will try to... <laughs> Uh, i'm ears (laughs) warmed up you gotta think too
2: yeah i i will uh uh take take advantage of that the other one got the the other uh uh, chunk of episode got deleted and reuse my dessert but i i just i oh sounds good yeah i i just i i (laughs) just because i can't say it enough but i i've just been thinking so much about the the just just jigsaw puzzles and and just there's such a funny activity I, we're we're home for the holidays and so i've got like this huge like gnome based jigsaw puzzle set up and uh and and just me working on it just just kind of going like a piece at a time and i just it's just reflecting on how funny it is to to meticulously, you know, find each of these a thousand pieces and put them together, only to like just just dismantle the whole thing afterwards. And um, you know how <laughs> yeah. that's like the of of all the things we're doing on winter break, it's the thing I'm putting the most time into, and just you know, it's 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 not creating anything. It's not like yeah, you know, any it's not family time even. It's just just like I don't know. It's what a just curious. Sedative.
0: Yeah, yeah, what, what a what curious choice, choice to opt into, into the Sicilian task of totally. putting another puzzle <laughs> together.
2: <laughs> yes, it is my boulder, and I will find. I will find every piece of these gnomes, uh, <laughs> and then and then dismantle it <laughs> no, with with no I'm, you know no picture, or anything, just like no memory of it even happening. But it right, it was like mm-hmm. you know, it was just such a, such a like like flow state. It was just such a like meditative yeah. thing that, the yeah, I, I just, it's, it's such a funny hobby that I, I just adore that has no outcome other than kind of a peacefulness. So yeah, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's probably the best dessert I got. Very
0: curious. Cause the, oftentimes when I'm doing a puzzle, I've been, you know, other people have started it before I get there. You know, my mom, my grandma will start working on a puzzle. They bust out the 2000 piece and they start, they start working on it. And and I'll kind of join in a little bit and I'll be like, I got my one piece in and then I'll and then I'll kind of check out. But it's it's interesting because usually the the puzzle scenario facilitates conversations that wouldn't happen in other places in my life. So it's kind of like a catalyst for something. But it to to be so um versatile that it could also be used as like a, a state of tranquility and flow state is such a what an what an interesting thing to unpack
2: yeah I was gonna say i i um in 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 your scenario, I'm your grandmother uh because I'm the one who mm. who is on my side of the family uh, have that reputation of I will set out this two thousand piece puzzle and then there will almost be this like Migration, uh, you know, over the next mm-hmm. week and a half of like different family members, kind of right, putting in their one piece, and it is it is kind of a nice like mm-hmm. like you get the conversation with them as they come and, d- you know, different people join mm-hmm. me over that time, but then you know at the end of the day, you've sort of all created this thing together, um, and yeah, it's, it's 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 so fun. I just jigsaw puzzle. They're so simple, but they're so lovely. <laughs>
1: Um John I was thinking your first dessert ever on their podcast was a hilarious story. Can you tell a brief version of that? I don't want to have you say all the same stuff but I don't remember which story it the, was. The elevator?
0: Uh, oh no no, the awkward <laughs> elevator story. No,
1: it was uh
0: So the the brief version is that I made a fool of myself trying to introduce myself to a stranger who I thought was attractive. Um at, at a nerd convention in Madison of all places. <laughs> so that's probably the funniest short rendition I can No, do. no,
1: no, no. <laughs> we need the elevator part though.
0: Oh, I, I'm not sure I remember No. So, so I, I mean, I was going up to the floor of our hotel as we were staying there for the, the convention and it was, it was high school. And I saw this girl in the elevator and I tried to like, Introduce myself, but I ended up blending two different questions together, which I have, I'll have to go back and listen. It's been so long since I've, you know, recalled this story. But I, I asked like two awkward questions, but half of one and half of the other, and it didn't even make sense as a question. And then I got off, and it was like I went the wrong way in the hallway, and like went past again. it was just, it was, just, you know. It, almost as awkward as our endings to these podcasts. You know, it was just really bad. It was really bad.
1: Allow me to refresh your memory a little bit.
0: <laughs> oh, please. So, so
1: you, you're going to make your escape from this elevator from Hades, whatever. And like you, so you you turned right and you ended up, there's a wall there, right? And Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So, I turned into the dead end. So, so you, your plan was to just stand there in that corner, Wait for waiting for the elevators to close, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah and then the elevator yes, door closes. <laughs> yep. So I was and, like, I went the ahead. wrong way. I've already made a fool of myself asking two nonsensical questions melded into one, and so I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna not go through the you know, total embarrassment of walking past the elevator doors again, <laughs> and and so. Finally, I think it was like there's a ding and I look up and there's just a mirror right there. And she's just kind of like
1: looking at like, what is this dude doing? Why is he standing? I still 20? don't know.
0: I still don't know.
1: Oh, right? that is so funny. So, <clears throat> so uh I had a great communication class this year just for discussion. So anyway, they were all giving their two minute talk on influence. Everybody tell a story about someone that influenced you and and uh, we finished a little early, and they were like, "Hey, tell a story, Fizzer." So I told this story. It was kind of well. I'll get to why I put it in that context, but so the story goes like this. There's a backstory, and the backstory is that uh, for a while in my family, among my siblings, I was kind of the famous one in the family. You know, conferences and write books and stuff and whatever. So my brother John met this woman and introduced himself as John Postjen and she said Postjen are you Connie's brother <laughs> okay <laughs> and he said yes I'm Connie's brother and then he said and Mark Postjen my brother is my brother and um the woman said who's he and so <laughs> this, this was just the greatest story ever told in my family this is <laughs> so that's the backstory. anyway the story that I told in IPC then was getting to, getting to say goodbye to my father. So it was our last conversation ever in this world and I'm in the hospice care and I thought for a long time about this moment, like would I have the courage to cut myself open and just talk and say everything you want to say and I was so glad I did. My girls were both in the room, they were young, so I think their memories are more about freaking out over someone, you know, grandpa about to die, but But I got to say all these things to my father, like spoke to his fear about being too busy as a pastor, you know, and just, no, Dad, what a great childhood you gave us. How do you thank the one who gave you Jesus and so on? And just spoke to those fears. And and it was just really, I have my hand on his head, like almost kind of in blessing, you know, and I am just, as I I got to know students over the years, I thought, man, I got to say everything you could wish you could say, you know, to a father. It's just, you can honestly say these things. So long story short, I mean I said <clears throat> at one point, Dad, you've been following Jesus your whole life for eighty five years and never once seen his face. And so when when it's time to go, you go. We'll be fine, you know, we'll see you. But you go and so I I kissed him on the cheek and said, I love you, Dad and he said, I love you and we we're both I mean, the whole room is crying. There's there's just Connie and the girls and me, but everybody's crying. Dad's crying. I'm crying. But <clears throat> just I love you, Dad, I love you and so I'm I'm backing out the door, of the and this is it, right? This is this is it, and then Connie goes up to my dad, just say goodbye, and she leans in and she's crying, but she's, you know, her her warm effusive self, and she, she blurts out, "Thanks for having Mark." Out, Thanks for having Mark, and I hear my father say, "Who's he?" <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
0: and, and I told the story to. <laughs>
1: I told the sorry to the class and they were like mortified. Like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, it was hilarious. And then they you all know, bust out laughing when they know it's okay to laugh. And I, I just said, I walked out the door saying, that's, that's how you do that, dad. I mean, because he, yeah. he, was, he was very charming and that was so much his sense of humor. And so I thought that's mm-hmm. the last thing I've heard him say in this world.
0: That's um, wonderful.
1: Yeah, it was just—it was just really. I suffering. remember. I
0: think I think you told that to our IPC class Did I? Every I now and then a, I do. Yeah. It, it was. was a, there's a. Well, there was also a. An essay or something that you wrote that was also kind of you for got, that situation or about that. Got situation. have a great memory. It's the same. It's a vocation essay.
1: And so there's a part of the essay where I'm kind of into random things about vocation, and so I got a paragraph about the vocation of older people like what you're calling now, like past your your yeah. career and so on. and The last lesson. Yeah. The, well, the line I wrote for my, you know, dad was my biggest fan in this world. And so I knew he'd read the essay. I knew he would know I was writing to him. I, all this was just mm-hmm. obvious. We never said this to each other. But the line in the essay is just one of the most important things a man does in his life is show his family how to die, cheerful and unafraid for Jesus' sake. And that's your vocation, like saying, Dad, this is a really important time in your life, and we're all watching you, and we're all being blessed by you. And don't don't think this is not meaningful. Like this is a afterthought or some. This is this is not that. Um, yeah. It's charged with holiness, and so yeah. What a good memory you have! Wow, that's yeah, that's kind well, of well. I mean, it's one of those story. ones that's
0: harder to forget. I think, but <laughs> <laughs> other classes, I don't have as many memories. But you stories stick with you, though. Stories yeah. stick with you. Yeah. So, it's, so it's, it's hard to like, well, it makes it easier to remember.
1: Oh, yeah. this isn't my
0: dessert, my. but I think that, I think there's a, I mean, people who do memorization challenges, they turn it into a narrative. So you're trying to memorize a deck of cards. You have, you know, each one of those, you know, each number is a certain object and each, you know, suit is a, another type of, you know, color or something. And then you're able to, you know, place those objects in very specific paths in a room and it creates a narrative of just what things you find in what order. And you just remember it so much easier.
1: Eidetic memory versus episodic I, memory. Yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt you. I didn't mean to.
0: Yeah. Well, I, now I have to go look up those words again, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, that's, that's, I do remember a lot of the, the stories are, are much easier to, to recall. Yep. <clears throat> Maybe that's maybe that'll be my dessert today. I'm just changing my mind right now. So I watched two things in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, there's one called the the Boy and the Heron, which is an interesting Studio Ghibli film. Um, it was a, it was a bit of an experience. It wasn't it, it the narratives from that of that type of medium. It's a anime animation um, film. And it's very almost ethereal, sometimes abstract, interesting creatures, you know, herons that talk, other worlds, things like that. But it it does, it's, so sometimes it's hard for me to, to think of it as like narratively, you know, we were talking about narrative cohesion in one of the previous episodes. And so sometimes it kind of wanders a bit far off from where I'm trying to figure out, like, I spend more of the time trying to figure out, like, what's actually going on here? But then you see the thing as a whole and it's like, it's woven together so beautifully. Just everything that ties together and, you know, maybe I didn't understand every step of it along the way, but it was a it was an interesting experience for me. So I like that medium. I like that that style, even though if I don't understand it as much all the time, but it's like, it certainly gives you things to look for when you watch it again. So that one I saw. And then there's also, a, I think it's on Hulu right now. There's a mini series called Murder at the End of the World. And given that we've been talking about murder mysteries for, for a couple of weeks, I saw I saw that one. There's a few moments where it's like, uh eh, it's a little bit, you know, is that necessary, but um for the most part I thought it was pretty well done. An interesting mystery, little twist. Um I won't say any more, but I, I thought it was interesting. So I'll give an update on the actual murder mystery that I have in, <laughs> you know, after it happens. So
2: yeah, we're we're about to do a third episode on the wildness that is uh, The Boy and the Heron as a movie. I'm I'm ready to go. Let's go. Just just, oh, do, interesting. just do a whole hour. Let's just try to understand it because I do not
0: understand. <laughs> How many? did you see it a couple times or
2: No, just the once we we just we we did the whole like movie theater <laughs> premiere and everything and we're like so excited mm-hmm. and I've I've never understood a Studio Ghibli movie less. Um, it it is stunningly <laughs> yeah. beautiful, and there were like eighteen themes that were all over the place. I yeah, it was a wild ride.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it 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 all it all winds up where it needs to in some way. I don't I don't understand. So it it's not like a typical story. These ones, it's very it's like childhood experience, almost dreamlike, where you're just trying to figure out like what does all this stuff happen? Things happen that aren't explained, and then maybe don't even matter, but. Yeah, it's, they're very interesting, those, those films.
1: So, good dessert, guys. Um, Keenan is a king of cultural references, too, not, <laughs> not just games. But, big, big, huge thank you to both Abby and Keenan <clears throat> Smart for being on our program. And, likewise, this won't be the last time. This is the start of something. A true fun, joy. A true joy. Absolutely. <sighs> yeah, thanks for having
2: us. It. Yeah, it was, was so much fun. I love talking. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)